one book that changed my life when I was 22. And the book was called Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I think I preached about this before, but it's worth re-mentioning what this book was about. Um, the book is really about Bonhoeffer's exposition on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. But what this book is famous for is a little excerpt that Bonhoeffer wrote um, in this book. And in this book, Bonhoeffer distinguishes between cheap grace and costly grace. Okay? He says there are two types of grace in this world, the grace of God that people believe in. One type of grace is cheap grace, and the other type of grace is costly grace. And this is what he says about cheap grace. He says cheap grace is a means of grace that is sold on the market like a cheap jack's wares. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, participating in communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, which is following obeying Christ. Grace without bearing the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. So cheap grace, Bonhoeffer says, is this cheap kind of grace that is freely given out that says, believe in Jesus and you go to heaven. And that's all that that type of grace requires. Cheap grace is a grace that is so carefreely dispensed and says, you don't have to take up your cross to follow Christ. You don't have to be his disciple. You don't have to forgive. You don't have to obey. You just have to believe, and you'll go to heaven. Bonhoeffer says, that is cheap grace. Costly grace, Bonhoeffer says, is the kingly rule of Jesus Christ in our lives. For, 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 for is to follow Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out his eyes, which causes him to stumble. It is grace that caused Jesus Christ, caused to follow Jesus Christ. Such grace is costly because it caused us to follow, and it is grace because it caused us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it cost a man his life. It is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies a sinner. Above all, costly grace is costly because it costs God the life of his son. It is grace because he, God did not consider his son too dear, to, to, too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for, for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. So Bonhoeffer says, costly grace is a grace that follows, follows the living Christ. It is costly because it cost Jesus Christ his life to save us. And it is grace because it is the only grace that gives men and women true life. When I was, when I was reading this when I was 22, I was on fire for the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hate cheap grace and let's, be, let's do costly grace. But as more that I live, 
what I realized is this saying is not just good saying to rouse passion in us, but this makes the most sense. Cheap grace, believing in cheap type of grace, the cheap type of love of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ would be fine. He just loves you and he requires nothing from you. That cheap kind of grace, it doesn't really offer a person any life. I suppose it is better than nothing. But believing in a cheap type of grace will not impact anyone's life. Believer in cheap grace, we, we, we live no differently from the unbelieving world. Do you know how you know whether, you, whether your grace is costly or cheap? In what motivates you, in how you live, what you think, what you value, what you strive for, how is that different from the unbelieving world? If you say there is no difference, then why does grace of God matter to you? Costly grace. At first, it seems very hard. But when you follow Christ, when you walk with Christ, I'm here to tell you, that's the only life. You'll experience life like, like, it's like how God truly designed it. The purpose, the joy, the, the miracles that you experience. There is nothing like it in the world. Costly grace of God that, that crucified his son so that we will live. It's the most precious thing in the entire universe. It's more precious than anything that we have. And therefore, Paul tells Timothy, oh Timothy, guard this grace in your life. Verse 20, Paul says, oh Timothy, Guard the deposit entrusted to you. The word guard here means, is a, picture, is a picture of a soldier guarding a treasure. Someone gave the soldier a treasure to protect. And the image of this word guard is that soldier is bearing arms and willing to sacrifice his life to protect that treasure. That's the image that Paul has. That's, that's the image of the word guard here. Okay. A little more juvial example is I'm a big fan of the Kelsey brothers. You know Kelsey brothers? Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift's boyfriend? I'm a, I'm a big fan, right? The brothers have a podcast, right? And I love that podcast. My, I, love, I started loving football because I love that podcast, right? So Travis, Taylor Swift's boyfriend's older brother is Jason Kelsey. And he is the center for the Philadelphia Eagles. And during one podcast, he says, he has, he has a wife and three girls, three little girls. He says, when he goes out to restaurants with his family, with his wife and his three little girls, he always sits at the back of the restaurant 
and he has, he sits towards the back so that he can see everyone who's coming into the restaurant. He sits there because he wants to protect his family when things go awry. So he's always has a protective eye on his wife and his girls, which are the treasures of his life. When something is precious to you, you will see to it that you will protect it at all costs. Paul is telling Timothy, you need to protect this treasure, this deposit that God has entrusted to you at all costs. God has has given you this amazing, entrusted to you, this amazing treasure. And you need to guard it. What is a deposit that Paul is talking about here? The deposit that Paul is talking about here is is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the full word of God revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, Timothy, oh, Timothy, my dear child, protect the gospel, and the word of God at all costs. Why? Because the gospel is under attack by false teachers. The gospel is under attack from within the church, false teachers, and outside of the church. The gospel is under attack by our flesh. The gospel, this treasure called the gospel, is constantly attacked. And, but, and you need to protect it because this gospel is precious. Because this gospel is the only truth that will send a per, set a person free from life of sin and damnation. Look, the gospel is more than believing that Jesus Christ died for you to forgive your sins so that you can go to heaven. That is a very level one level, base level understanding of the gospel. The gospel is that when God saves you because of who we are, because of our brokenness, because of our inherent brokenness, when God saves us through the crucifixion of his son, he raises up into new life. And the life that we live by believing in Jesus Christ is the only life that matters. So believing in gospel is not just believing in Jesus Christ died for you. It's also believing Jesus Christ died for you. He rose again for you so that he also raised you to eternal life. And as people who are risen to eternal life, there are ways to live a life. Okay? The gospel, like I preached about a couple weeks ago, has commandments associated with it. One of the commandments associated with the gospel, like last week, is rich people, which is all of you, by the way. Right? All of you are rich, by the way, right? And, and, and me too. All of us are rich. Rich people, what do you do with your money? You invest your money for good works. Why? So that you will imitate Jesus Christ who gave his life for you. If you knew that Jesus Christ, even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor and he gave his life for you, You are called to mimic him. So if you believe that Jesus Christ died for you, and if you've been raised to new life, then rich people, take your money and invest in good things, noble, worthy causes. 
It's not a suggestion. It is a commission. It is what we need to do. Do you understand? Believing in the gospel has all sorts of life implications to it. Young people, if you believe in the gospel, if you believe Jesus Christ has died for you and gave you new life, do not use your new life for luck, for sensual pleasures. Do not use other people for your sensual pleasures. Live to respect them, just like Jesus Christ respects your life. Belief in the gospel is more than child's fairy tale. It has implications for new life. And Paul says, Timothy, this truth is under attack by the false teachers, by outside forces, by your flesh. And you need to protect it. My dear Christians, the call is not only for Timothy. The call is also for you and me. We need to protect the gospel. We need to protect the truth of God inside of us, that is living inside of us. Because if we don't, which we'll see later on, it will bring us disaster. Paul says this deposit, the gospel, the truth of God, was entrusted to you. The word entrusted means it was given to you by someone superior, right? If you're entrusted in something, it does, it's, when, you, when you're entrusted with something, it's not the fact that you generate it from within you. A treasure has been given to you. This is to be very carefully. At the base level of Christianity is this. The living God who exists outside of you, had mercy on you, so he gave the gospel to you so that if you're persuaded by, so that when you are persuaded by the gospel, you will change. Do you understand? The gospel, you did not generate it from within you. It was given by the living God. God who is this outside from you, giving you the gospel to save you so that you will change. How did Timothy get the gospel? His mother Eunice and his grandmother taught him when he was little. Paul taught it to him when he was a younger man. And through their influence, Paul was given the gospel the gospel changed Timothy's life. And Timothy is now entrusted to give this gospel to, the, to his congregation. You understand? Gospel is something that is given by God to Timothy, to us, to change our lives so that we will take this gospel and spread it. That's the model. Do you understand? That's why Paul calls the, the gospel, the deposit entrusted to you, given by God. The implication is this. The life-saving power that fundamentally changes a person, it does not come within the person. It comes from outside of the person, from God, 
through the gospel, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I was obsessed with Sigmund Freud and C.S. Lewis. I don't know why. I'm nerdy that way, right? C.S. Lewis is the greatest Christian apologist of the 20th century. He was the greatest defender of Christianity in the 20th century, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was an atheist until he was 33. He had an overbearing dad. He hated his dad, who forced, tried to force religion down C.S. Lewis's throat. And C.S. Lewis, like many intelligent children, just rebelled against that. He said, I hated everything about religion. I hated organ music. Don't tell my wife that. My wife will be really offended. She really will. I hated every, these Christian hymns were really bad poetry. They were so shallow and superficial. I hated everything about the church, C.S. Lewis says. But when he was teaching at Oxford, he was introduced to two Christian scholars who gave him things to read, who started talking to him about the faith. He befriended J.R. Tolkien, Sean Stark's favorite author, Lord of the Rings, right? Tolkien was a Christian. Tolkien made an impact on Lewis. Lewis started to read the New Testament and the Christian writers. And through all these influences, Lewis became a Christian. Lewis says his worldview changed. And when his worldview changed, he became a different person. When he was an atheist, C.S. Lewis was a pessimistic, depressed, aggressive type of person. He wasn't fun to be around. But after he became a Christian, he became optimistic, fun, jolly type of fella. Complete Worldview transformation changed the man, which in turn God, who in turn God used to evangelize the world. There is no other power, guys, that can fundamentally change your worldview but the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's an absolute statement. There is no other power in the world that can fundamentally change your nature, your worldview, what you want to live for, what you love, how you are, until God gives you the gospel. Do you understand? Look, what the, you know what the world says? Some of those people believe in therapy says, you know, fundamentally changes come when you work on yourself. Go see a psychiatrist, psychologist, go see a therapist, and just go deeply into your psyche and your past experiences. Analyze your trauma. Use psychotherapeutic method, psychoanalytic method that Freud like, coined, and discover who you are. I suppose. There is some sort of benefit to therapy, I suppose. I'm not hating on therapy or psychiatrists or psychologists by any chance. Maybe just a little bit. But psychiatry, therapy, cannot fundamentally change you. You know how I know? Sigmund Freud 
the father of psychotherapy, he was the most bitter, angry, depressed man, they say. Towards the end of his life, you know what he told his close friend? He says at the end of his life, he told his friend, his friend's friend, I believe most people are garbage, he says. The father of psychoanalysis says most people are garbage. So a method devised by that kind of a man can set you free? Really? Or the world says, yeah, salvation comes not from within you. Salvation comes outside of you. But the thing that, said, that comes outside of you is not God, it's money. Look, salvation exists something apart from you. It's like money, or your children's success, or your success. These realities that are outside of you, when you get it, it will change you. That's what they promise, right? Get a better job. Have successful kids. That will change you. Matthew Perry died yesterday. Chandler Bing from Friends died yesterday. Matthew Perry was the richest, most famous person in the world, right? So many third world country people learned English through Friends. He, he, so many people discovered American sarcasm through that guy. At the end of his career, as friends, he was making $13 million an episode. And there were 16 episodes a season. You do the math. But I saw an interview with Matthew Perry a couple of years ago, last year. He wrote a memoir. And all, most of his life, Matthew Perry was in deep pain. He was an alcoholic. He was a drug addict. He was in deep pain. Tell me, fame and fortune and recognition, did that ease Matthew Perry's pain? Would anything that you're striving for or dreaming for, would that fundamentally change you? Would a husband or a wife fundamentally change you? I love my wife, and I think she's a bear of laughs. I told her yesterday, man, we like hanging out with you. And she says, of course. But my wife, as a person, as lovely as she is, she doesn't fundamentally change me. She doesn't fundamentally change my worldview. She doesn't fundamentally change what I love. Otherwise, I would be loving our classical music by now, right? She doesn't fundamentally change what I want to live for. There's a limitation what people can do. I'm telling you, the only thing that will set you free and fundamentally change you is when the living God gives you the gospel to change your worldview. That's the only way. And because it is so powerful and because it is so effective, enemies want to kill it.
enemies want to kill it. The church, unbelieving people want to kill it. People within the church want to kill it. Our flesh wants to kill it. Therefore, Paul says, Timothy, protect it. How do you protect it? Number one, we protect the gospel and the word of God by the pastors faithfully preaching the word of God. I'm, I'm, I'm following the Bible tracks. Hey, little guy, what's up? Right? I'm, I'm, doing the, I'm following the New Testament chart. I'm hardcore. What I do is I just read chunks in books. I don't go verse, like, I don't, I don't read the verses that are signed. I read the entire book because I'm hardcore that way. You know what happens when you start reading, like, Bible books in chunks? You, you recognize the theme in all these, all these books. And the, one, and the major dominant theme in Paul's epistles is he's telling the writer, the, the recipient of these epistles, that the most important thing that a pastor should do is to preach the word of God. The truth is protected when the church properly preaches the word of God. Right? Right? That's why in, what, what's that verse? What's that verse, guys? What's that verse? Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word, Timothy. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Pastoral job, el numero uno. The most important part of the job of a pastor is not to, pre- not to preach in tongues, is not to be a nice guy, but is to preach the word of God faithfully, comprehensively, gently, understandably. But the issue is, I think the many churches are, Christianity is losing its power and culture because preachers aren't preaching the word of God properly. I think many preachers don't really believe in the power of, power of God's word. They rather believe in the power of their internal persuasiveness. Who's calling me? Right? Sorry. Someone from Arlington. Do I know anyone around? I don't know. Where was I? A lot of preachers preach emotional sermons so that they think if they hook you on emotions, you'll change. So if you look at a lot of the Hillsong church sermons and a lot of the seeker-sensitive mega churches out there, if you listen to sermons, they kind of sound good, but I have no idea what they're talking about. Believe in Jesus. He's there for you. Yeah, that's fine, but what does that really mean? I have no idea what they mean. They want to make you feel emotional, but they offer you nothing. Because they don't really believe that if they faithfully preach the word of God to their congregation, that they'll change. One of the, one of my, one of the podcasts that I listen to every week is this podcast called Pastor's Talk. Is literally two pastors talking about the ministry. Love it. One of the guys who hosts the show is a guy named Jonathan Lehman. Jonathan Lehman is a, is a pastor and a Christian author and a writer and an editor. And in the last episode of Pastor's Talk, he says he was a really good preacher, but in one church, he was fired. And the reason why he was fired from that church was because there were seminarians in that church, 
he wanted to sound very impressive. So he, he, he used the word of God, but he tried to make the word of God sound really fancy. And the elders of the church came to him and says, yeah, I don't think it's going to work out for you here. Why? Because you're not faithfully preaching the word of God. There's something off about your message. Therefore, they canned him. Praise God for that church. Look, if I'm here doing my thing, and if I'm not faithfully preaching the word of God to you, then I'm no use for you to you. Right? Churches protect the gospel by pastors faithfully preaching the word of God. So please, for the love of all things good and right and good, if I am veering off from the word of God, please warn me if I don't change. Please fire me. Please sit me, get me out of my misery. Okay? How do you protect the word number two? I preach the way you protect the word, guard your word from your life, guard, your, guard the word of God in your life, you listen to the word. Paul says in Romans, Romans 10, verse 17, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So Romans chapter 10, Paul is saying, how does a person have faith? Listen to the word of God. How do you come to have living faith? Listen to the word of God. Do you have faith by fasting 40 days? Do you have faith by going to prayer mountains? Do you have faith by what? What do you do? What do you do? Not sleeping and praying 24? No, faith comes in the preaching of the word of God and you listening to it. John chapter 14, verse 16, is, verses 16 and 17. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. For where two, of, two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. So if you add all these verses together, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, Jesus saying here is this. I promise to send you my Holy Spirit to you. And when two or three are gathered in my name, my spirit will be there with you. So if you are gathered together, and if the word of God is being preached to you faithfully, it is there I, will, I am with you. How do you guard the word of God in your life? You listen, you congregate, we congregate together, and we listen, because Jesus promised it is here that he will speak to us. You protect the art of faith by congregating together and listening and learning. And the enemy knows that this is the way you protect the word. Therefore, the enemy will do all that he can to pull you away from this place. How do I know? I think six years ago, there was a demon-possessed guy in our congregation. How do I know? Because after the service, he told me he was demon-possessed. I go, okay. And this is what he said. He says, as I was driving to your church, the closer I got, I wanted to just make a U-turn and, and just not enter. 
but I entered anyway. And when I sat down, I felt better. When the praise started, I wanted to leave again. When you were up there, oh, I really wanted to leave. Am I God's mouthpiece? If I'm preaching the word of God, I am. But he's saying, everything that is in him did not want to be here. How does he attack you and me? You don't have to be here. God loves you anyway. Shoot. You were a small group leader back in the day. Shoot. You have your Christian bona fides. Shoot. You know, you've proven your faith over and over again. There's nothing more for you to prove. Shoot. You don't need to be here. Oh, friends, we need to recognize that this church and all the other churches like it are God's grace for your life. It's a truth dispenser here. It's a spirit resetter here. Is a mind renewer here? You protect the faith, the word, by listening. You protect the faith. You protect the word by walking with Christ. Jesus says in John 15, remain in me and let my words remain in you. And you will ask whatever you wish, and it will be granted to you. Remain in me, and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. Remaining in Jesus Christ is remaining in his word on a daily basis. When you remain in his word with him, truly you will bear fruit, and truly you will see God's moving in your life. I guarantee it. That's what Jesus says. When you begin to see how God is moving, through your life by remaining in his word, you will want to be in his word. Do you understand? How do you be in his word? By experiencing what the, the fruit and the reality of God as you're remaining in his word. You protect the word by experiencing the power of the word come true in your life. If you're not walking, if you're not remaining in him, if you're not experiencing him, if you're not bearing fruit, if, if God is not constantly changing your mind, guys, then why, what would motivate you? To, 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 what will motivate you to guard the truth? You guard the truth, not only that, but sharing it. You share the word. You share the gospel. You share the word of God to other people. I have the greatest, easiest job in the world in terms of guarding my faith because I get to do, I get to prepare and preach to you for a living. I get to share the gospel with you for a living. And the benefit of sharing the gospel to you is that the gospel comes true. The word of God comes true. You experience in small group too. I was there in small group on Friday. It was a jolly old time. When we share the word of God with each other in the small group setting, the, the word of God becomes alive. 
You shared the word of God at my coworkers. I shared the word of God through my, with my Mormon best friend lawyer. I shared the word of God with my Hindi lawyer guy. I shared the word of God to my, with my paralegals. When I share the word of God, you know what happened? God, the word of God becomes real, and you become, and it becomes precious to you. You protect the word of God by sharing it. If you don't share it, Sunday is the only time that you're exposed to it. And if you don't share it with your kids, if you don't share it with your wife, if you don't share it with your neighbors, the word of God will not be real to you. How, how can it be? How can it be? Right? If your mouth is closed, how can these things become real? It will only be in your head. Protect the word of God by sharing it. Last point, and I have two more pages to go, but I guess we've got to finish it next week. You protect the word of God, but considering it precious. It is the precious thing. You need to consider it precious. If you're not paying attention to it, Let's be honest, it's not precious to you. If it's not precious to you, how can you experience God's power? And we will talk more about this next week. If you're not precious, if you don't preciously guard it, Paul warns, then you will let irreverent babble control you. Irreverent babble is the teaching of the false teachers. Paul calls it irreverent babble because they may sound impressive. These words may sound impressive, but they're just empty words. And if you're not guarding the faith, if you're not guarding the truth, these unimpressive words will lead you away from God. Guys, I read this week, last week, that in the Chinese, in the, in the, in the Chinese Cultural Revolution, Mao Zedong killed 40 to 80 million people in his country. 80 million, 40 to 80, 80 million people. You know why? Because Mao wanted to make a new humanity in China. He wanted to make a new humanity that's full of greed and selfishness. And to get there, he had to kill 80 million people to, to do it. Hitler killed, what, 13 million Jews? Stalin killed, what, 1 to 2 million people of Russians? Hamas killed, what, like 1,300 Jewish people a couple of weeks ago? You know what all these people have in common, all these groups have in common? They have ideologies. They're driven by falsely ideologies. And ideologies are destructive. Ideologies justifies murder and genocide. Hamas, you know why Hamas hates Israel? It's not because of the occupation. Hamas hates Israel. How do I know? The son of the Hamas leader told CNN this. Hamas hates Israel 
Because it's a difference in religious ideology. If you don't guard faith in Christ, then you will let religious ideology, you will let faulty ideology control you. And that will lead you away from the true faith. You know why, one of the number one reasons why young people are leaving the church? LGBTQ issues, they say, and abortion issues, they say. These social issues, these social arguments, they say. But if you look at the LGBT trans issue and the abortion issue and all the other issues, the racism issue and all the other issues that people are leaving the church for, you know, and understandably, there, there are, I guess there are reasons for making them arguments, but at the end of the day, all these arguments are emotional-based arguments. They're not fact-based. They're not truth-based. They're emotion-based. And because these young people do not know the truth, they let these emotional arguments of society lead them out of the faith. If you don't watch the word of God, if you don't protect the word of God, if you don't protect the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life, you will invariably be led by irreverent, empty babble. That's why you need to protect it. Time is over. Let us pray, and we'll continue next week.